You're listening to the Private Island Podcast, where we will be speaking to private island owners from across the globe. We'll be discovering their story and what it takes to maintain an island. Hello, everybody. Today, I would love to introduce you to Bill Poston. He owns multiple private islands and manages large portfolio of properties, islands and businesses. We will be discussing Bill's journey and the culture he has created on his islands. Hi, Bill. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here. Um, Yeah, my journey to uh, island ownership was certainly not uh, straight or direct. Um, I spent 25 years working as a management consultant, um, about a decade in a large global firm, uh, and then left that organization to found a consulting firm named Calypso. Uh, And that really was my my driver, my profession uh, for the better part of 25 years. About, uh, gosh, um, you know, six years ago now, six and a half years ago now, um, I got involved in some real estate investing in the middle of the, um, the crash in the wake of the, the great financial crisis and had an opportunity to purchase an island in Belize. We did that just as a more of a second home, friends and family retreat, uh, bring employees and business partners and, and uh, you know, anybody that uh, we really wanted to spend some quality time with together in an amazing, you know, beautiful, natural setting. Um, so that's what we did. Went down to Belize and, and found us the perfect property and um, bought it and started inviting guests to come down and enjoy the tropics. And if only we had just stopped then, life would be so much simpler and easier. <laughs> well, I mean, what made you want to buy another three? Uh, again, if only we had just stopped at one, <laughs> life would be so much better. Um, yeah, I w- there was no grand plan or strategy. Um, we were really enjoying the property that we acquired and we had a neighbor island that we would visit from time to time to refill our scuba tanks. So that was uh, how we got familiar with one of our neighbor islands named Thatch Key. And it was kind of a, a low-end uh, island resort, you know, basic accommodations. Um, and we watched it you know, somewhat deteriorate over the months, and then eventually they just closed. And so the manager that was there, I think, was uh, you know, kind of interested in preserving their job, even though the island was closing. So he put me in touch with the folks that owned it. And uh, over the course of about six months uh, of negotiations, we put together a deal that gave us control of the property uh, in return for assuming responsibility for the operations and injecting the capital that it needed to get upgraded and become uh, a marketable uh, and attractive destination. So, uh, you know, in the end, it was really just uh, too good of an opportunity to pass up, uh, or so I thought at the time. Uh, And that's what uh, led us to our second island. And then once you have two, you have to have marketing and accounting and operations and uh, an engineer 
And the next thing you know, you've got uh, a real business and a set of overheads. Um, so kind of, you know, in for a dime, in for a dollar. Uh, we've uh, grown the business from there. In addition to the four islands that we uh, manage and own in Belize, we have five other resort properties um, on the beach and in the jungle in Belize. So the total portfolio is nine uh, different resort properties, uh, and it's turned into a legitimate business <laughs> with uh, just over 300 employees, at least pre-COVID-19. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll be back there just as soon as we possibly can. Wow. And so take me through the process of island number two, three, and four. <laughs> Well, number three uh, was a, a property that's actually owned by a friend of mine, and um, he was uh, struggling with uh, being an absentee owner, really, and not having anybody that uh, he truly trusted to look after the asset. Um, so we put together an agreement, uh, not too dissimilar from Thatch Key, where we took over the operations and marketing and management and injected the capital that uh, was needed to turn it into a, um, a very attractive destination. And uh, arguably, it's one of my favorite spots in the world. Uh, it's named Ranguana Key. It's teeny tiny, maybe a little over an acre in size, but it's a natural island with beautiful white sand beaches and coconut palms and kind of everything you would expect to see on a picture postcard of a, of a tropical island. Um, and then we um, have been building a fly fishing business in Belize for the last five or six years. And it has grown to the point where it was uh, taking over our other properties. And so we decided that it, it needed its own home. And so we acquired another island uh, named Northeast Key and have uh, developed, uh, redeveloped uh, Blue Horizon Fly Fishing Lodge at Northeast Key. Uh, really just as a way to provide that operation with its own home base uh, and alleviate some of the pressure that the demand from that business was putting on the other, or the other properties. Uh, so four uh, is, uh, you know, it's, it's not like children. Four is not necessarily easier than one <laughs> or any, or any cheaper. So with, with all, all the islands, did you have to go through a broker? Uh, really just the first one. I mean, we, we used a broker to help identify uh, and acquire Royal Belize, which was the first property that we bought. Um, from there, uh, everything else has just been based on our relationships, uh, you know, with folks uh, in the country. And by, I don't suppose you know the names of these islands. Do you know the history of any of them? So Thatch Key, you know, most of these uh, were unnamed uh, on the charts. They were simply identified, you know, as a, as a key, but not named. Um, my understanding is Thatch Key was named by the original developer um, that went in and actually created the island. Um, in most cases in Belize, these properties uh, existed in a natural state as just a mangrove swamp with very little uh, real ground. And so in order to create something that you can build a resort on, uh, you have to go in and fill the island uh, and actually create the land that you need in order to develop on. Um, and so 
that is a long and laborious process. Uh, it took about six years for a team to manually create the island that is Thatch Key. And um, so it, uh, if, if you do the work, then you get to name it. And so that, that's how that came about. Um, I believe Rangwana Key uh, is um, the only one that has a legacy name that existed on the charts from way back when. Uh, I'm not familiar with the story, but it uh, is at the entrance, uh, at an entrance to the reef and has been used for hundreds, if not thousands of years by uh, the Maya uh, and pirates as a way to um, you know, tuck inside and get some safety from the ocean. Okay. And um, when you first purchased, just to get an idea, how much were, were the value of these islands when you first purchased them? Um, you know, there, it's such an illiquid market that the value question oftentimes, uh, the answer exists in the mind of the owner. <laughs> not necessarily in <laughs> any true sense of a market. Um, we, we paid $3 million for Royal Belize, um, and it is an 11-acre island that had been fully developed uh, over a period of about seven years. And so it came fully improved, fully operational uh, with a team, um, and... You know, I, I just don't know what it's really worth today. Um, I don't think about it because I'm not trying to sell it. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to look at a property like Thatch Key, um, you know, which is uh, quite a bit bigger and has uh, a successful resort operation on it. And you can value the resort operation uh, just as a business. Uh, and and get to a you know a pretty sizable number, um, but not clear to me that there are people. Uh, it's not like buying a, a tract home in a suburban uh, community <laughs> in Houston. Yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty unique asset. <laughs> um, you know, what was the inspiration behind buying your first island? What made so, you? Yeah, I mean, I blame it all on um, either either or both uh, Jimmy Buffett um, or Magnum PI. Right? I mean, I uh, moved to Hawaii when I graduated from college uh, in Texas in the mid '80s, and just fell in love with island life and the tropics uh, and the the dream and the fantasy that uh, they represented. And so when I moved back to Texas after my time in Hawaii, uh, there was always a notion that I wanted to get back there. But, uh, you know, four kids uh, and a career later, uh, Hawaii was just a long way away and uh, also just prohibitively expensive. So Belize became really, a, um, you know, what I consider to be our Hawaii. Uh, it's two hours from Houston, which means it's easily accessible for uh, me and the family and uh, you know, much more um, reasonable when it comes to the investment required to, to get in the game. Is there a direct flight from Houston to Belize, Dan Griga? 
Uh, no, you fly into Belize City. It's the only international okay. airport in the country, and then make your way down the coast to the right. island. You can drive or take a hopper. Yeah. Okay. And so, with all the islands, um, you know, you agree with B. And what was the process on? You know, was there a lot of paperwork? How easy was it? Uh, it's no different. I, I don't believe any different than acquiring property in the UK or the US. Um, the, the only difference is nothing is computerized. So, you know, doing title searches and that sort of thing requires a human being to go through the archives um, to provide you with the level of comfort um, that the person you're buying from actually owns the thing you're buying. Um, and uh, that just that's really the only difference is you're not dealing with a modern sophisticated property um, titling system so you've got to be um, careful and do your due diligence just make sure that uh, everything is um, properly documented okay and so it was it quite straightforward was there a long process on on the purchasing no, I mean, getting to an agreement uh, and doing due diligence on the, the asset is no different than, you know, what I, I, I've experienced in the UK and in the United States. Um, Belize operates under a British common law system, um, so all the same property rights that uh, you would expect uh, are in place. Uh, now, once you have closed on the transaction, the process of getting the government to actually register the title um, might take somewhere just south of forever. Um, but, uh, you know, if um, it, it really, all that, all that means in, in reality is you're just waiting on a piece of paper. Um, you know, you can close a private transaction and, and pay the money and move on. Okay, so you also didn't have any sort of legal restrictions along the way? No. Ah, cool. So I know, you know, a few other uh, island owners, they, you know, sometimes some people have been in a battle which has taken like five years. So speaking to you, I thought, wow, this is, this is quite straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard the stories. Um, one of the real problems that you might encounter is islands move. Um, they grow, they shrink, uh, you know, you lose beach on one side of the island and you gain beach on the other side of the island. So the typical survey process, which you might experience on the mainland where you can, you know, drive a peg in a corner of a lot and say, this is the property line, uh, doesn't always work because that, that island may kind of shift and move and, um, it's, it's hard to know from GPS coordinates yeah. exactly what you own because sometimes what you own is winds up in the water. Have, have you guys lost quite a bit of land? Have you faced any challenges with the, the beaches? I mean, we fight that battle every day. So, um, no, we haven't lost any, but that's because we're there you know, fighting that battle every day. Um, it, uh, you know, erosion is a constant challenge and you, you have to take steps to protect the asset uh, or you will 
you will lose considerable um, amount of dirt. Okay. And so how, how easy was it um, to develop the infrastructure, the sewage, the water? Was that quite straightforward? Um, no. I mean, it's, it's the, the challenge, the particular challenge in the islands, at least where we operate in Belize, is the lack of heavy machinery. So, you know, when you want to move a 3,000 pound generator, um, you get 12 guys with straps to pick it up and move it. Um, and the team down there is ingenious when it comes to creating contraptions and devices to help them do their job. Um, you really get back to simple tools like levers and logs as wheels and uh, anything that they can use to make it a little easier. Um, if you want to drive a piling, you know, 20 feet into the ground, uh, you're doing that with a, a water pump and a sledgehammer. And ultimately, you know, there's two guys jumping up and down on top of it in order to drive it into the ground. And I do want to ask, which one is your favorite island? Well, I mean, Royal Belize is our first, uh, and it, it is the most luxurious property that we have in the portfolio. So it's uh, hard to beat uh, a day and an evening at Royal Belize. It just um, being able to have friends and family gather on that property is one of life's great pleasures. How far, how far are all, all four of the islands between each other? Uh, Thatchkey and Royal Belize are neighbors. They're about two miles apart. Um, uh, Northeast Key is 10 miles south of Royal, uh, and Rangwana is another 20 miles south of it. Wow. So they're, there's two close together, and then the rest of them are relatively far apart. Oh, sounds tempted to, to go island hopping. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you just hop on the boat and go. That, that, that's also a great day. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, because uh, from what I remember when I went to Thatch Key, um, the Belize Barrier Reef, that's about, is that 20 minutes, 30 minutes from memory? How far it was? Oh, not even that. I mean, it's it's two and a half, three miles uh, from both Thatch Key and Royal Belize. So you can hop out there in you know, 10, 10 minutes or less. Um, the snorkeling on the reef is world class. Um, the scuba diving is just, it's the best in the world. I mean, I, I have been diving on the Great Barrier Reef and it's phenomenal. Um, but the only thing that I think the Great Barrier Reef has over Belize is size, right? I mean, it's just big. Um, yeah. But the the coral life and the um, the sea life in Belize is just just the best in the world. I've been diving during this whole coronavirus quarantine. I've been going to the U.S. Virgin Islands and scuba diving there, and it's a a poor substitute. Uh, for the experiences that we have down in Belize. <laughs> Spoil, isn't it? <laughs> um, what do you wish you had known when you had first started investing into the islands? 
<laughs> I wish I had known to stop at one. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, you know, the, the, the joke in the wine business is, um, you know, if, if, how do you make a million dollars in the wine business? Um, you start with five. Uh, and that's probably uh, applicable in the island business as well, right? You want to make a million dollars in the island business, you better start with five. <laughs> it, uh, we actually operate um, profitably. So if you just look at these as businesses um, on an operating basis, they make money and they make you know pretty decent margins, but they consume capital uh, at uh, an equal rate. So they, the, the maintenance that's required when you exist in such a um, corrosive environment uh, with salt water and salt air and storms and the things that just require you to consistently and constantly upgrade and repair and, um, you know, things like solar batteries that, you know, you have to replace them and you feel like you just bought them. But you realize, oh, yeah, that was five years ago. Do you, um, on that point, has any big storms hit and affected your islands? We've had one storm, um, I, I guess it's been three years ago, that uh, did some damage uh, and disrupted our operation. But uh, I was really incredibly impressed by the team that we have because they got in there and cleaned things up and were reopened in less than two weeks. Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, it took us a year to completely repair all of the damage that they had things cleaned up and repaired and operational in no time at all. Wow. That's, that's insane. And... For a normal person like me, I want to buy an island. How do I buy one? Well, come on down. Like start, start with $5 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go to my bank and pull out five, five million right now. <laughs> yeah, or just go find another, you know, a thousand people like you uh, that, that want to. Um, you know, it is a, a dream, but it's not crazy out of reach. Um, you know, I have uh, plenty of friends here in Texas that own uh, ranch property that they paid a heck of a lot more for than we have invested in four islands. So it's really kind of, you know, what, what's your passion? What's your pleasure? Um, it, uh, you know, you don't have to buy a fully developed luxury private island to start. Um, I know that there are uh, properties in Belize that trade at less than a million dollars, um, which for uh, being able to, you know, tell your friends at a cocktail party that you own a private island is, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a small amount of money, but, <laughs> um, you know, with, within reach of uh, a lot of people. Uh, I would just say, remember that buying it is the easy part. What comes next is the hard part. And on to that point, 
how what does it take to maintain an island so just remember you're operating in in a fairly corrosive environment and when you start on one end of the island and repaint and repair and and replace by the time you get to the end you have to go back to the beginning and start over <laughs> you are fighting mother nature every single day of the year um, and she doesn't stop so you really can't stop either um, you know the second that you stop investing in maintenance and, and upgrades um, that's when things go bad wow and uh, okay so onto the island itself um i briefly know that i think belize has maybe is it organization or something uh to promote sustainability for the islands sure well there are a number of um, non-governmental organizations that operate in belize uh, that are there uh, to protect the natural environment both uh, out on the reef uh, and in the in the jungle and uh, we're very active uh, in working with those organizations. Um, we recognize that the, the tourism business is heavily reliant on the preservation of that natural environment. Um, uh, we would be doing that anyway because my personal enjoyment of uh, the property is dependent on the preservation of that natural environment. Uh, and because I have traveled to other parts of the world and I've had the you know, unfortunate experiences of seeing what tourism can do uh, to destroy a natural environment if it's not managed uh, and, and kept in check. Just give me some examples. What, what are your, you know, the management doing on the islands to preserve its natural beauty? So we, we have a, um, an initiative within the organization called Travel Better, uh, and it really is designed to educate travelers on the impact that they have, both positive and negative, on the communities uh, to which they travel. So our Travel Better initiative, uh, it um, is designed to educate around environmental sustainability. Um, so we... We help our, uh, our guests to understand um, why we don't offer them uh, plastic water bottles, why we don't use styrofoam, why we don't use plastic straws. Um, we provide each guest with an aluminum water bottle when they arrive, and we have refill stations uh, throughout the properties and in the rooms so that they can, they can enjoy that. Uh, all of our tour businesses uh, also have a leave no trace um, ethos and set of requirements. So we are very diligent. We maintain very small um, guests to tour uh, guide ratios so that they can manage and monitor the impact that people are having in places like the reef when you're taking people snorkeling. Um, you know, I, again, unfortunately, I've been to places where people are standing on the coral and just destroying what it is that they're there to enjoy. Um, and so we, we invest heavily in, in education and monitoring to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, in the properties themselves, uh, we're very proud of the fact that we are, you know, all alternative in terms of our energy production and water production. 
Um, even though the reality is we don't have a choice <laughs> because <laughs> there's no other option. Um, but we operate off of solar power uh, with a little bit of wind. Uh, we do have diesel generators for backup um, because, you know, there are times where uh, we either don't get enough sunshine or we have some uh, failure in the system and we, we need to be able to provide guest power. Uh, but our job is uh, and our goal is to run 24 hours a day off of solar and wind. Amazing. Um, and I know you also do some work with local communities, with the schools. Tell me about that. Yeah, so part of our Travel Better initiative is uh, we as an organization donate a set amount of money for every night a guest spends in one of our resorts. Um, and that varies from a uh, dollar a night in one of the big beach resorts, you know, per room to $50 a night uh, at Royal Belize. And that money goes into uh, a pool at the property level. And the employees of that property select a nonprofit organization um, every month that they want to support with the cash that's raised at that property. Um, and last year through that program, uh, we um, donated almost 70,000 US dollars uh, to local organizations that uh, are helping them buy school supplies, medical supplies, um, equipment, you know, whatever it is that, uh, that they need in, uh, in their communities. Um, our guests contribute to that. So we let our guests know, hey, we're giving away $5 uh, per night for your stay. Um, when you check out, if you would like to contribute to the same charitable cause, um, you can make that donation at that time. Uh, and our guests are amazing. Um, our contribution rate uh, is almost equal to the rate that the company um, donates uh, each month. Yeah, it, it, it is nice because I think when I visited Thatch Key, um, you did have some stuff on your website and they and they said that you can bring some stuff over and they will give it to the schools out in on mainland. Sure. That's well, that's just another initiative under the travel better umbrella is packed for a purpose. Yeah. And so uh, we ask guests if they can spare a little extra room in their luggage on the way down um, for school supplies or clothes um, that will make sure that that gets donated uh, within the community. Uh, and then you have extra room in your luggage to buy souvenirs uh, uh, to take it home with you. I mean, you should have extra room in your luggage because you don't need heels uh, and you don't need uh, dinner attire and you don't need a hairdryer. Yeah, you actually yeah, we, don't need much. <laughs> <laughs> we don't dress for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me about what the wildlife is like on the island. Uh, well, it, uh, at night when the bars open, the wildlife gets really crazy. <laughs> you know, it is an all-inclusive property. So, yeah, it's a pretty wild life. Yeah, definitely. Was that your, was that your question? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know when a, you know, 80s disco dance party is going to break out. It could happen <laughs> any minute. Um, now, we, we're blessed with the natural environment um, that we operate in. The, uh, the islands are surrounded by sea life. It is not at all unusual to be 
you know, enjoying coffee on your balcony and have dolphins jumping, uh, you know, right in front of you. Uh, if you pay close attention, you'll see sea turtles uh, surfacing on a regular basis. There are uh, rays that love to cruise around the island and um, they're just, you know, graceful, beautiful creatures um, and can get big. Uh, and so uh, that you don't have to put on a mask and fins to go see the wildlife. You can just look in the water and, and pay attention to what's swimming by. But if you really want to um, get up close and personal with the sea life going snorkeling or doing a discover scuba dive out on the reef is a, you know, a mind blowing and life changing experience. You know, I have a, a pet shark that I dive with out on the reef. They, they literally just follow you from the beginning of the dive to the end, don't they? Not follow, come and <laughs> sidle up next to you and, and beg for attention. Um, yeah, they're, they're like Labrador retrievers. You yeah. Know, you know, are, are desperate for attention. Um, so those are, those are my friends. Yeah. No, they can be annoying, like Labrador retrievers can be annoying as well. Yeah, no, they're, they're harmless when you're swimming by them. <laughs> They just want—they just want you to pet them. They—they they actually do. They actually do. <laughs> strange to have a pet like that. I guess it's island life, right? <laughs> so you—you've so far stopped at four islands. Any more? Oh, you know, somebody's always trying to sell me their islands. I mean, I, I think not a month goes by that I don't get a message from somebody that says, uh, hey, you know, I'd like to talk to you. Um, sure, why not? I mean, you know, if it's, uh, if it's reasonably proximate to the places we have today um, and it makes sense uh, for us and fits into the portfolio and the vision, um, we, you know, a somewhat unplanned and not exactly um, uh, strategically, but we've gotten pretty good at it. And uh, we have the ability to size up a property and fairly instantly understand its marketability and, and its potential, uh, and therefore can make a pretty quick decision with regard to what it's worth to us and, and what we think we can do with it. Do you have an end goal? <laughs> Die happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a, a plan and we don't have a goal. Okay. So it's, it's always growth. I mean, yeah. I, we, at, at this point in my career, uh, the real satisfaction comes from seeing the growth and development of the individuals on the team. And you know, our, our management team in Belize is uh, all Belizean, uh, all local. Uh, some of them started with the organization as landscapers or waiters and have worked their way up into management positions. And so, um, it's just been incredible to see you know, these, these young people that have come into the organization and um, with hard work and a little bit of brain power and um, the trust 
that they're able to, to build with their colleagues and, and with leadership have put themselves in, in positions of authority. So while I wouldn't say I need another island, um, if that is a, if another island is a vehicle for another three or four people to grow and develop uh, into a, uh, a full-fledged professional and provide for themselves and their families, uh, and I get the benefit of uh, coaching and mentoring and assisting and, and being able to, to watch that development, that's really what it's all about for us. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on down. <laughs> um, in terms of all, you know, of all four islands, what's one of the craziest things that have happened on the island? Oh my. And which you know, there's, one? <laughs> uh, a hotel is a very funny place. Um, and uh, uh, people on vacation you know, adopt a different attitude about life uh, and, and behave oftentimes in a very different way than uh, they might at home. So we, we have some some interesting stories. Um, I, I've had one guest that uh, asked me if the water went all the way around the island. So I, I had, to, had to explain to her that that was kind of the definition of an island, <laughs> that the water goes all the way around it. Um, but then she clarified and actually wanted to know whether you could swim under the island. Um, so when okay. she asked if the water went all the way around it, in her mind, it was just floating somewhere and you could swim underneath it. And so I had to explain to her, that's not really how islands work. Um, <laughs> the next day, she also made the observation that she couldn't breathe underwater. So she was bright. Uh, we, we have, uh, at Thatch Key, we have these great over-the-water bungalows, and there are uh, five of them in a row, and they're all identical, and at night, uh, it can get kind of dark, and um, sometimes it's a bit challenging to tell one from the other, and so um, we had a, a guest uh, one night who... Uh, maybe had a little bit too much to drink in the bar and went to his room and got completely undressed and got in bed um, and was sleeping until the couple whose room it actually was uh, showed up and found a naked man in their bed. Um, so that uh, <laughs> these are the kind of things that you know, can happen from time to time <laughs> that uh, we get to tell stories about and will eventually go in the book. What's been your personal best memory of the islands? You know, we, we have such tremendous uh, experiences down there. Um, we have a sunset celebration every day on the west side of the island, which is uh, a, a standing tradition um, with you know, champagne to, to toast the end of the day. And so any number of those experiences are, are uh, memorable. Uh, I, for myself, um, we have a, a little cabana out way on the end of an island. If, if you actually see my background, it's, it's that 
up there, that little spot. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's about a 400-foot pier that goes out to a little cabana. Uh, we call it World's End. And being able to watch uh, the sun go down and the moon come up uh, at the same time from that location is uh, an experience that you'll never quite forget. Wow. That's incredible. And what's been your worst memory? Oh, I mean, the... The worst ones are often the ones that obviously create the best stories. Um, we, uh, we've been caught out on the water uh, in the boat and uh, some pretty scary situations. So, you know, it's, it's not always, uh, you know, blue skies and calm seas 365 days a year. Sometimes uh, you run into weather and we've had some, a couple of scary situations uh, in navigating through uh, pretty high seas and some pretty heavy rains and, and winds and lightning. Um, a little bit like the opening uh, credits of Gilligan's Island <laughs> with the boat. Do you get any pirates there? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we get lots of people drinking rum uh, in the morning. But <laughs> I, I have to ask because in some countries you actually do get them. And yeah. I, and I know there's, um, well, it's weird because the reputation that mainland Belize has, they said that it's very, you know, unsafe and it's next to Honduras and people always worry about the safety. No, I mean, Belize is, is, um, one of the safest countries in the Americas, you know, just like any other, um, big city, there are a handful of blocks in Belize city that I probably wouldn't go wandering around uh, in at night. Um, but other than that, I've been bouncing around that country, you know, by myself at all hours of the day and night for years and never felt the least bit unsafe. Okay. And in terms of challenges that you've gone through with all the islands, what kind of challenges have you been facing? Um, I mean, aside from the, the maintenance challenges that um, we, that I described earlier, uh, you know, I, as a, as an absentee owner, uh, I need people that I can trust implicitly um, to run these operations. And I think uh, finding those folks uh, is a bit of trial and error. And uh, I say, you know, you, you have to kiss a lot of frogs uh, to, to find your prints. And that uh, is probably the biggest challenge is just uh, personnel, particularly when you operate uh, at the scale we do, where I have you know, over 300 people that work for us in the country, and you need 30, 35 people in managerial positions of authority that you can trust implicitly. Um, I, I think for anyone who is contemplating owning an island and not living on it themselves, that's probably the, the biggest challenge you'll face is finding someone that you can really trust to represent you um, and, and serve your interests. Okay. And 
Moving on to the events and weddings you hold, which island is suited for each type of event? Okay. Well, at that Thatch Key, I think uh, you've attended a, a fairly raucous wedding there um, yes. where we, we tested the limits of the, uh, the property's infrastructure. Um, in addition to the 30 or so people that we had on the island, I think there were a dozen catamarans that um, housed another 50 people or so. so yeah, we had a hundred. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, uh, quite quite an event. So I can, I can say that uh, we have at least one data point that says we can host a wedding for a hundred people at that key. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can be the judge of uh, how well that went, but uh, I think everyone had a good time. Yeah, they definitely did. <laughs> we, we regularly host weddings uh, on the island. Um, it is not unusual for guests to reserve the entire property. Um, there's 15 units, uh, so uh, 15 couples, you know, 30 people. Uh, that tends to be a good size for a destination wedding. Uh, and there's some just gorgeous uh, spots on the island to choose for your ceremony, for your reception, um, to do different things over the course of a, a few days. Um, we, we have host lots of um, birthday parties and anniversaries. Um, the, there seems to be a recent spate of uh, vow renewal um, ceremonies on the island. So those tend to be a little bit smaller, but uh, just as special. Uh, at Royal Belize, it, there's only five rooms, so it's quite a bit smaller. We have a uh, room for five couples and then a bunk room for kids. So we can host 16, 18, 20 people on the island. Uh, and we have had weddings there. Uh, they tend to be uh, a little bit more uh, exclusive, higher end. Um, and then in every case where we've had a wedding on Royal Belize, they've just started their honeymoon right there with the eight other people that came to the wedding, you know, joining them for the honeymoon. Um, but uh, it's a pretty special place uh, in the team makes memories there like no place else. Um, the other two islands, uh, you know, they, they're suitable for uh, kind of all, all kinds of um, uh, different events. Uh, just, rec you know, Ranguana is teeny tiny. So one of the most naturally beautiful spots in the world. And it would be great if someone, you know, wanted to go out and have a small wedding ceremony or a vow renewal ceremony. Um, or just take the whole island and, uh, you know, enjoy a week with uh, two other couples that, uh, that you can stand being trapped on a deserted island with. And you also do yoga retreats. Yeah, quite regularly. That has become a, a staple of the business is uh, having yoga retreats, uh, Thatch Key is a very popular destination for those events. And um, there, there's, just like I mentioned about the ceremonies, there's multiple locations on the island uh, for people to practice. And, um, you know, including a nice big palapa that's built out over the water uh, that people really love for sunrise uh, and sunset yoga. Um, 
And are there any sort of upcoming exciting projects um, that that's going on on the islands? Uh, well, we we just opened Blue Horizon Lodge right before things shut down um, with COVID nineteen. So it is. Uh, I mean, it was beautiful and perfect and ready for a grand opening. We had one group come in and kind of a trial run, soft open, and uh, then we weren't able to, to fully open. So uh, we've got the grand opening of Blue Horizon Lodge coming, uh, fingers crossed, you know, sometime in the back half of uh, the year. And then uh, there's always, you know, new new investments, uh, new amenities, new properties going in at Thatch Key. And um, the, the team there has great ideas for the improvements that they want to make. You said you had a story about Thatch Key. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, did you? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you want to hear the story of acquiring it? Yeah, go on. Okay. So, as I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation, the island itself was kind of a low-end uh, budget accommodations, and eventually it just closed and spent um, seven months uh, closed. And when you close something and stop maintaining the assets, it deteriorates fast. And so I um, was able to uh, work with a group of folks that owned the island to step in and assume uh, responsibility for the mortgage, uh, assume responsibility for the um, funding, the operating losses, and agree to put the capital in that would make it a viable business. Um, and so that's how I acquired uh, a majority stake in Thatch Key. And I'm happy to say that it has been wildly successful. I mean, it, uh, it is a very um, attractive place. We market it as a barefoot casual experience and our return guest rate is higher at that property than any place else. And people just come back over and over and over again. Um, but uh, what that has allowed us to do is to continue to make investments in improvements and expansion um, we have uh, half of the island remains undeveloped. So all of the improvements that we have on the island today are really only on half of the, the property itself. So um, there's a raging debate about the development uh, uh, activity that we want to do on the other half of the island. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was uh, in full swing uh, before things shut down on us here a couple of months ago. So I expect that debate to resume in earnest uh, as soon as we're able to receive guests. Okay, cool. And if, um, you know, for people who want to come on a vacation, um, do you offer sort of any last minute deals for traveling or discounts? Yeah, I think that, I mean, one of the things that uh, our team does really well is to make sure that our properties are full, right? A, a, a full resort is a happy resort. And, um, you know, I, I am more of a financier than a, than a hotelier. 
right? So I, the, the most heartbreaking thing to me is uh, an empty room. And uh, the team does a pretty good job of making sure that uh, we have very few of those. So uh, Moyono is the name of the, the marketing company. It's uh, M-U-I-O-N-O. And uh, people that are interested in following along on specials and discounts and last minute deals um, can just follow uh, along with uh, Moyono or the individual property that they're interested in um, because uh, they're, they're pretty good at making sure that we stay full. Um, we are subjected to a fairly um, uh, high degree of seasonal variability in our demand patterns. So there are times of the year where you can travel to Belize and enjoy these properties at a fraction of what it would cost um, to come in the high season. So we, we want people to come. We want people to enjoy them 12 months a year. Uh, and so we just price things appropriately to make sure that, uh, that they stay busy. Amazing. I was fortunate enough to coordinate an event on the island. We pushed their capacity to the max, 100 guests, eight catamaran boats, six days, and me literally living off three hours of sleep every night. It was an incredible experience spotting the wildlife, the phone party in the pool, I slept in an oceanfront cabana and had a private roof patio all to myself, which had breathtaking views of the beach. So I would definitely recommend visiting Thatch Key and check out their Instagram page for offers. So thank you, Bill, for joining me today, and I can't wait to have you back on. Please, we've got we've, yeah, we've, we've got new things to talk about uh, coming up. I, I am anxious to get back down to the islands just as fast as I can. Um, it's, uh, it's really been a difficult and challenging time for everybody over the last three months. And we're just really hoping that uh, we'll get back to some level of normalcy and uh, can get back to our friends and our colleagues uh, and start uh, entertaining and uh, providing the kind of hospitality that, that we love to do. Great. So thank you all for listening. My goal here is to inspire you and to help educate you all and myself. Um, so share the podcast or tell a friend about it. Maybe you and your friend can own an island one day. Who knows? But that's all for now. Thank you. Thanks, Alicia. Follow at Private Island Podcast on Instagram for the latest features and hidden gems. Hosted by Patel.